0: It's good to help, you know, use what we've learned over the many, many years of doing this to help make the event go as smoothly as possible, both for the student athletes and all of the people there to support them, but also our broadcast and what we're doing on site during the Stag Bowl.
1: Heck yeah. I'm very excited about that. And yes, it was also like, you really need some of these widgets over here. There was some of that. And that was a lot of fun.
2: Football fans, It's now time for
0: the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman.
2: You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you,
1: Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 318, season 16, episode 18 for your podcast for November 7th. 2022. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy who runs deepfreefootball.com, who will be making copious use of the cough button on this particular podcast.
0: I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at deepfreefootball.com. I'm not a froggy in the throat. A lot of teams punch their tickets to Annapolis this week. Pat, I did that last week as well. I'll be in Annapolis along with a number of teams, more teams to punch their tickets this coming weekend. We are less than a week away from knowing
1: who the 32 teams in the tournament will be. That's right. And we all, of course, already know a good number of them who will be going to Stag Bowl 49. And this week's podcast is sponsored by the organizers of Stag Bowl 49, which will be on Friday, December 16th at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland. Greg, you and I have both lived in the past in the Washington, D.C. area. And you we obviously know how close that is to Annapolis, but there are so many D3 schools and therefore D3 fans within, I don't know, about a four-hour drive of Annapolis that it's nuts. I'm really standing here to tell people you should start making your plans right now to attend, even if your team might not advance to play in that game.
0: I couldn't agree more. NCAA championship events, they never disappoint. At the Stag Bowl, fans are going to see two of the best teams in the division playing for that national championship in a tremendous venue that I think is gonna be great for the event. It's a location that, like you said, is readily accessible to so many fans of teams in the ODAC, the NJAC, the USA South, the MAC, the NUMAC. All of these people coming to see this game is a great way to support Division Three championships, Division Three student athletes, and it gives an important reference point to fans of a lot of these teams that don't often see elite teams in the division play. Like, what's the difference between Bridgewater, who's having a great season, and a Stag Bowl participant? Come see. Come see what the difference is and, you know, it sort of helps you see the magnitude of levels in in Division 3.
1: I tell you, first off, the stadium has been renovated since the last time I was there. Really good looking place. It's really easy to get to Annapolis, to get to Baltimore by car you can also take Amtrak into Baltimore flying into BWI Airport which is what I did this past weekend super easy so easy to get to Annapolis and we really encourage you to attend Stag Bowl 49 we'll have more information on this podcast as the weeks go on and tickets will go on sale soon we talked about teams punching their ticket Greg a bunch of them did We'll start with Mountain Union, though. You talked on the last podcast about how there wasn't much that we could glean from watching a Mountain Union game earlier in the season, so much so to the point that you hadn't watched a single snap of Mountain Union football. I'm surprised there wasn't more blowback on Twitter about that, or maybe it's just from people that I've blocked over the years. That was an entertaining game and I think worth your time to watch once you could get out there and find where that link migrated to. I
0: was concerned that I was going to still not be able to see any snaps of Mount Union football. A little stream hiccups at the beginning of the game, but they got that thing fired up just in time to see Mount Union score their first touchdown of the day. The first ranked team that Mount Union has played this year, yeah. and it had it looked a lot like the games that Mount Union has played against Hopkins and Muhlenberg in the last few tournaments, where you know Mount Union looks like. A little bit better team talent wise, a little bigger, a little faster than their opponent, but not so much better that they can run away and hide. John Carroll, you know, had this game tied up at 14 at halftime. Big third quarter for Mount Union, kind of spread it out a little bit, but John Carroll came back. They made it a one-score game, and you know, had a had a chance at an onside kick to maybe give themselves a chance to win. Mount Union wins. I don't know. I don't necessarily that I would say survived. I don't know that they were ever in super danger of losing, but I think you saw that rank number two. Yes, but maybe not in the same dominating everybody tier that North central is in
1: right now. I just went back to check the headline. I'm glad I used tested. I did not use survive. I wrote, I have written survived so many times this season because we've had so many games like that. This is one of these recording sessions where you and I are in the booth before the top 25 is done. I'm just taking a peek in the back end here. I know I moved John Carroll up my ballot as a result of that game. Looks like it's going to be kind of mixed results from the rest of the panel. John Carroll will still be ranked once that comes out. And of course, if you're listening to this on Monday, you already know because the top 25 will come out about 30 minutes or so after Greg and I get out of this recording session. That's appropriate. John Carroll should move up. That's my take. Our poll is pretty good about that recognizing when you've played someone tough, even in a loss and making that adjustment. Another game, obviously, that was big on Saturday. I think we were all watching down the stretch as Howard Payne goes essentially the length of the field, gets the touchdown, and you hear the question mark in my voice, or maybe you can't based on how my voice sounds today, gets the two-point conversion and left 30 seconds remaining. And I'm like, "Mm, nope, that is too much time. And sure enough, it was.
0: It was 30 seconds, uh, a little bit too much time to leave for UMHB. Kyle King gets a nice scramble up the middle. A couple of short passes later, they are in Anthony Avila range on the right hash mark, which we know is Anthony Avila's forte. And uh, Anthony Avila hits a 44-yard game winner as time expires. Not the first time that he's done this. This is a little less rushed than the more famous last-second kick that we know in the game against Harden-Simmons in 2019. UMHB, they go on the road to Howard Payne to get tested. Maybe they survived that game. From the Howard Payne side, that's two weeks in a row that they've played the top two teams in the ASC. Very tough, and they've come away with two losses, and then that early season loss to George Fox is going to keep Howard Payne probably out of the top 25 and out of regional rankings, but clearly progress being made there at Howard Payne, but the Crusader Hill, just a little, a little too large to climb right now.
1: What do you make of this? Right. We, we talked about Mary Arden Baylor being a little lackluster of late, and then this game comes all the way down to the wire at this point. Do we care? I
0: think UMHB has enough capital in the bank here that i'm not super worried about where the crusaders are right now they weren't blowing people away at the end of last year and they didn't blow people away in the first round of last season's tournament they really flipped it on and turned the switch in the quarterfinals and had that run against linfield and whitewater and north central to win the championship three of the very best games you can string together in a row they've got kyle king they've got all of those offensive weapons kj miller Brandon Jordan, I feel like that's a team that knows when it's go time and they're going to be ready to go in the playoffs, wherever they have to play. uh, They're they're going to go and play and uh, they'll be one of the favorites in the tournament, I think.
1: I think the other big game that maybe we want to touch on at the very top of the podcast here is the game in the Liberty League between Ithaca and Union. Ithaca comes away with this W and for the second week in a row kind of exercises some demons that have really bothered them since they joined the Liberty League. We talked ad nauseum. We even wrote a story about it back in September about how many times Ithaca has started off basically 7-0 and and limped to an 8-2 and finish because the schedule got a little tougher. This time, so far, still surviving that backloaded schedule.
0: They did, and they got tested by Union pretty well in this game. A little too much offense from the Bombers, something that we didn't see from them last week against RPI. They kind of bottled it up and didn't lean into stuff that was working for them. They just sort of kept running at RPI over and over and over. Uh, This week, a little more balance in the offense for Ithaca, and they closed the deal. They won the Liberty League outright, I believe, for the first time in their program's history. They're going to be 9-0. Ithaca's going to be in the playoffs. They don't have to worry about the bubble and two losses with a big strength of schedule. None of that matters to the Bombers this year. They're in. They're going to go to the Bronx this weekend and play another team that's already in, and they're going to play just for the sake of rivalry. It's going to be great.
1: Rivalry, revelry, and all sorts of other things going on in the Bronx on Saturday. Here's who's clinched. And you can also find this on uh, any of the news pages, basically, on D3Football.com the last couple days. So Mary Harden Baylor clinched the American Southwest Conference. They are in. Susquehanna clinched the Centennial. They beat Muhlenberg on Saturday. And Ducott finished things off in the Commonwealth Coast Conference on Saturday with a W. North Central winning big against Illinois Wesleyan, but unable to continue the shutout streak, which is good because I could maybe write another verse, but I could not sing it. I got a text from a conference commissioner, not CCIW, about that very thing and that song from last week's podcast while I was in the car on Saturday, and it made me really smile because it was the end of a three-and-a-half-hour drive, and I was you know, beginning to feel it. But North Central clinched the CCIW. We mentioned Cortland already clinched the Empire 8 last week. Gallaudet clinches the ECFC. They are in the clubhouse at 7-2, and two, at Ithaca in the Liberty League, Delaware Valley in the MAC, Linfield in the Northwest Conference, Randolph-Macon in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, Carnegie Mellon in the PAC, Trinity of Texas in the SAA, Northwestern of Minnesota in the UMAC, and Huntington in the USAC. We will touch on some of these other things as the podcast continues, and we'll talk about at-large candidates when we come back. Thanks to the organizers of Stag Bowl 49 for their sponsorship of this podcast edition. But we still want to talk about our Patreon subscribers as well. People who help make this podcast happen. They are people who subscribe, essentially, to D3Sports.com content on the Patreon service. And Patreon is a way that you can support content creators, you know, as little as three dollars a month, as high as fifty dollars a month, and a range of other options in between. You get a little access to some behind-the-scenes information, and also, you know, of course, you're just supporting and helping make d3sports.com, and specifically this time of year, both d3football.com and d3hoops.com happen.
0: Right, our Patreon subscribers help fuel all of the d3sports.com family of sites. During football season, we see that support manifested in the regular cycle of coverage that our readers see throughout each and every week. Features, columns, around the nation, on-site coverage on Saturdays, the live scoreboard on game day, all of these things are made possible by our Patreon supporters. If you enjoy d3football.com and all of the coverage the site provides, consider joining our group of Patreon subscribers or support the site with a one-time donation. Maybe you're already a Patreon subscriber. Thank you so much. You can continue to support D3Football.com by spreading the word to your fellow fans at your next home game. And D3 Hoops as well, spinning up. Big game in Claremont this week, I understand. Uh, pretty big pretty big sports weekend in Claremont, really.
1: Basketball is going to be nuts. If the basketball season is anywhere near as good as the Division Three football season has been... I don't know what will happen. I have had so much fun with the football season this year. But if you want to join us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash d3sports. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash d3sports. Or if you want to support us with a one-time donation, you can go to d3sports.com slash help. And we greatly appreciate all of you who have done so, especially those of you who have done so in the last few weeks. Super helpful. Thank you so much. All right. So we talked about who's in. There are, of course... Still a number of conferences where now head-to-head games will decide it or, you know, a combination of X wins and Y loses or somebody wins to clinch first place, etc., cetera, et cetera. Greg did a really good job of running through most of those things last week, and we'll talk about some of them a little later as well. But I want to talk about those five at-large bids. So we, I don't know if you know, if you are new to the podcast or if you are new to Division 3 it's a thirty-two team bracket, but twenty-seven of those bids are automatic bids. You're gonna see Northwestern of Minnesota on the bracket on selection Sunday, most likely at six and four, and go, What the F, man? How come this team is in the playoffs and my eight and two team is not? I really sound like, you know, your prototypical D three football coach at the end of a really big game, right? I have had so many conversations, for example, with Gary Foshing, where he sounds just like this, and I'm not making fun. It's just it's really loud to talk in a 13,000 fan stadium. It's really difficult to get one of those at larges. There are so many automatic bids. There are some that you you know are going to come off the board pretty easily, but I'm not quite sure about anybody after like the first one. Like if UW across beats Platteville next week yeah lacrosse gets in the field and i kind of don't know about everybody or anybody else
0: you know first of all i'm really glad that you mentioned the gary foshing voice because i've been thinking that the entire recording session is like you sound like gary foshing after the first quarter (laughs) we need to win
1: it and i think he missed three in a row and it was kind of a downer to the end of practice but you know one of the reasons why i had him do that is because at some point you're gonna have to make those and um he came in and he was very cool and put it right through the uprights. So
0: lacrosse feels pretty safe if they win their final game. And then the rest of it, we're gonna, really going to have to see how those regional rankings play out. I think uh, you're going to have some interesting choices to make in Region 2 with Hopkins and Utica. Kings in Region 1 is a team that I think is got a better profile than people realize. They could be a team to watch in Pool C, Harden-Simmons, obviously, a lot of lot of eyeballs on Harden-Simmons. They are a perennial pool C bubble team, it seems. Wheaton with two losses, really good two-loss resume for Wheaton. The runner-up of, of the Miag. they're still divisional champions. Yeah. These are teams that are going to look really good as well. A lot of it is going to depend on how the racks place those teams
1: in their regions racks being the regional advisory committees, Uh, not to get too Dave McHugh in here. I want to make sure that we're accessible to the, uh, to the average listener.
0: I will try to save the uh, super acronyms for, for the super users, but yeah, it's those other four, I think you can sort of pull together a bucket of seven or eight teams from which those other four at-larges are going to come from, but a lot of different ways that those decisions could go. And we'll have to see. I haven't plugged in the numbers and done any Pool C projection to this point this week. Maybe going to be a project for me tonight or into Monday just to see what it looks like. And then obviously next week we will do a, a projected bracket for everybody.
1: Yeah, it's really hard right now when we don't have an actual regional ranking, right? Wheaton's candidacy, for example, only really looks good if WashU is ranked, right? and tough to rank Wash U with the multiple losses the, uh, and one less spot in the regional rankings with there only being seven.
0: I know WashU was part of the conversation last year with Wheaton's candidacy, candidacy as well. And again, here in Region 5, the, the Midwest Conference has produced, I think, three viable, rankable teams into those regional rankings, which may not leave space for WashU with, uh, an eight and two record and no wins against ranked teams. Yeah. Um, a decent result against Wheaton this weekend, but not something that, I mean, like WashU's profile doesn't stand out a whole bunch. I don't, their strength of schedule is not going to be super good. If they hang on to the top seven, it'll be just barely.
1: I'm not sure where we draw the line between the one loss teams who don't really have any benefit on their resume other than the fact that their winning percentage is going to be a little higher, Right. So, we go to Kings. There's been a little bit of talk about Kings. Kings could be the team that is sitting there in region 1. Their strength of schedule right now is 508. It will go up a little bit with their season finale against Wilkes. And of course, if they win that game, then maybe you can consider them. Uh, you think about Bellhaven. Bellhaven's a team that uh, has been talked about. They have One loss, but the strength of schedule is 424. This is like a winning percentage. I'm using that version. It's ranked 216th, but I think people usually use the number 0.424. That's the strength of schedule for Bell Haven. For Bridgewater, the strength of schedule is 478. That doesn't really grade out very well either. They don't have a, a win that helps them. We'll talk with Jason Couch of ALMA coming up here. In a little bit, his team's strength of schedule is not really set up for at-large bid consideration. It's 461 right now. Will go up a little bit against Albion. If Albion were the team that lost this upcoming Saturday, they might look fairly decent on paper. Their SOS is currently 534. That will go up. If you dig into the Albion resume, you know, one of the things that really boosts that strength of schedule is playing UW-Eau Claire. Eau Claire out of the WIAC is not one of the teams in the WIAC that's been ranked in any poll at any point this season. They are two and seven and probably will finish two and eight, but they tap into the WIAC strength of schedule. They tap into the CCIW strength of schedule in playing, you know, teams that are essentially in the bottom half of both of those leagues. I think mathematically, maybe you talk about Albion having a halfway decent chance as an at-large team, and I'm not sure that Alma does.
0: Albion probably a better shot in Pool C than Albion. Region 4 has been an interesting region to watch the way that they rank teams. John Carroll is a two-loss team there that could be the top at-large team in that region, except Region 4 for the last couple of years has really ranked their teams by win percentage first. Like They've been a really heavy win percentage region. And so you might see the AMI runner up at nine and one ranked ahead of John Carroll, which might block them from being uh, discussed as a possible
1: at large team. And I haven't yet mentioned Utica here in the course of this conversation, but that is somebody else who at least would get a look. They are currently eight and one they'll finish at St. John Fisher. So obviously they would have to be nine and one to be considered. Their strength of the schedule is five 47. That's going to go down and then there's all sorts of intangibles, shall we say, with the Utica resume, as we talked about that Utica-Morrisville State game not that long ago. We will have another whole podcast this week, so keep an eye out in your podcast feed. Midweek, we're going to drop a podcast Thursday morning. We're going to talk with J.J. Neckloff. He is the assistant commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, and he is the national chair of the Division Three Football Selection Committee Those first regional rankings that have an actual numerical ranking to them will come out on Wednesday afternoon. We'll talk with them Wednesday night. We'll get it in your feed on Thursday morning, and you'll get an even more in-depth conversation about some of these things. And we talked earlier in the season, Greg, about, I think in response to a mailbag question, why do we have to answer these questions all of the time? We had multiple reasons, some of them because, you know, fans newly come into Division Three all the time. The teams that those fans follow are not always in contention for at-large bids. And that point was driven home to me this morning at about 5.30 this morning when I am riding the rental car shuttle bus at BWI Airport. I get on the bus. There's no place to sit. There's only one spot to stand and standing right in front of me is a guy wearing a Stevenson Mustang sweatshirt. I'm not always the most extroverted person, especially at five thirty in the morning, but I decided, well, you know what? Stevenson had a good day yesterday. They beat Wilkes 14, nothing on Saturday. I'm like, I'll just throw that out. And I assume this person is here because they came in to attend the Stevenson football game. So I said, Hey, good win for your team on Saturday. And it struck up a conversation. It's like this I don't know how much around the Stevenson program or the Stevenson parents this is thought of as a possibility, but this dad thought that the Mustangs have a very real shot of getting an at-large bid. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure that Kings being ranked ahead of you is going to make that not very possible. And he said, yeah, but we have a better strength of schedule than they do. I said, yeah, but they beat you head to head and that is generally a pretty good first tiebreaker in those sorts of things i understand hope springs eternal right i understand wanting to want your kids team or your alma mater or whatever to get into the playoffs but man it just reinforces that that education can never stop we'll be doing this for the rest of time basically
0: we will stevenson good season they beat salisbury it's the only team that has knocked off salisbury this year um had a, had a chance there uh, to make some noise in the mac delaware valley got them but yeah the road to the playoffs is very very narrow i mean it, it really is an exclusive group of teams that get invited to the tournament most teams the access is through pool a and
2: winning your conference See you
1: all, Matt. All- Fast five on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, joined by Jason Couch, head coach at Alma, his team 9-0. Got to face off against another 9-0 team with the MIAA on the line. Congratulations. What's it been like on this run so far this season?
2: Well, thank you very much, and thanks for inviting me on. It's It's been a dream. As an alum of Alma College, I have thought of these days many times, and uh, to come back here as a head coach, yeah, it's a place of passion. It's uh, like I said, a dream that these guys are fulfilling. Our players are working their tails off and I am so proud of them. We have a saying here, you know, win each day and uh, they're doing that at practice and it's it's been showing on Saturdays.
1: Right. You are one of a good number of Division three head coaches who are coaching at your alma mater. Right. And you took this job about four years ago after having been a high school head coach in the state of Michigan for several years. And I know when I looked at that, I said, I wondered if he could if you could succeed there. And it maybe took a few years. Right. And covid probably set back a little bit as well. But here you guys are.
2: I think a lot of people probably wondered if a high school coach would transition well to to college. Don't get me wrong, I thought about it too. I mean, it was 20 years of, of high school coaching, but I knew I was passionate about this place. I would work my tail off to see not only the football, but I want to see the college thrive. And the culture that we have developed since 2018 is is one that again we worked hard on we have it kind of branded trademarked all that good stuff i've got it on our shirts and all, of course all over the offices and things and it's called kilt style and it took about a year to come up with one i wear a kilt on the sidelines very proudly all right and uh nice and one of my coaches we were sitting around uh between the holidays january of 2019 and he said we got to do something with the, with kilt, right? And so that's where kinship, integrity, love, and tenacity was born. And it's been how we've been living. And And we talk about all, all four of those aspects of, of kilt, uh <laughs> on a regular basis, but more so now than talking about it, our guys show it, man, they show the love for each other, um, that brotherhood. And, all, and it's fun to watch because when you get, other players more excited about their teammates success than even their own on a field, then, you know, you got something special and things are cooking.
1: I feel like I've seen a lot of schools, including at the division three level, <laughs> make an acronym out of family and do something, you know, meaningful out of that. But I love kilt. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. Is, you got to
2: add the style. Cause apparently that's cool. Right. I mean, I <laughs> right. Is that is so it worked
1: is I should be looking for that hashtag on Twitter. Right.
2: Yep, there you go. Kilt styles out there, that's for sure.
1: All right, so you guys got Albion coming up this weekend. It's like your conference schedule, you had a chance to make some noise early uh, with Trine and Hope at the beginning of the conference slate. And now, you know, Adrian this past Saturday, Olivet the Saturday before, and then this big game at the end. Feels like it's kind of all building up to this moment, right?
2: Yeah, I would say for the last two weeks or so, people have been hinting to me, "Hey, November twelfth, you guys could be." And I'm like, "You just stop talking right now. We've got some some big games coming up, and that's the way our mentality was was just to focus on right now, right here. And well, here we are. Both teams were able to do so. I'm uh, you know I'm happy for Coach Boer, and uh, it's going to be a great environment here at Balky Stadium, Elma College. Our alumni relations office sent out an email saying we're going to have a a large tent just for you know football alums who's coming and I think about a hundred within the first four or five days said we're well, going to be there and so you know make extra hot dogs and popcorn and get ready for a great game. I anticipate us having uh, over seventy recruits and we already have about fifty five signed up for Saturday's visit and so. It's going to be a great environment.
1: Tell me about Carter St. John and a little bit about the Alma offense.
2: What I'm most impressed with a freshman quarterback is some of his decision making and throwing the ball away, for example, and getting out of the pocket and, and avoiding some sex and, and really putting us in negative situations. He hasn't done that. And <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm not saying he's flawless by any means, but he's constantly watching film and learning himself. But he is playing a very high level, and it's pretty impressive that he's an 18-year-old, just to remind people, yeah. A year ago, he was playing high school ball.
1: Greg, Jason Couch, just quintessential Division three story, right? Guy comes back to be the head coach at his alma mater, and now his team is having the most successful team that it has had in his lifetime, you know, considering the last time that they were at this level at 9-0 and was in the late 60s.
0: Yeah, and they've had a really great season. They raised some eyebrows early in the season with a win against Ohio Northern. Now, Ohio Northern hasn't had the kind of season that we usually expect from Ohio Northern, but that is a game that sort of put Alma on everybody's radar, and then, of course, the whole MIAA just beat everybody in September. And now here we are, Alma playing Albion, two teams that are 9-0. I believe that is the oh, that is the second of two and 9-0 versus 9-0 and games that we're going to see in Week 11. Winner goes to the playoffs. The loser of
1: that game sweats it out on, on Saturday night. I'm just going to go pronunciation here for a second. This is probably pronunciation 201, so don't feel bad. But what I have been told is it's absolutely Alma, and then it's Albion, so I'll be honest everywhere. I will be on, I'll be on, I'll be on an Alma. And every time I have to catch myself in order to get those correct.
0: I do know a uh, correct pronunciation for Albion. Uh, that is the genesis of a chant that I heard at a football game in 1997 that uh, will not
1: uh, repeat here. It's not repeatable. I think I understand the chant you're talking about.
0: Game ball. Game balls! Game balls!
1: Game balls! Game balls! It's time for game balls, and this week my game ball is going to Devin Williams. Williams, freshman defensive back for Bethel, came up huge exactly when the Royals needed a big play. In the final minute of Bethel's game at Augsburg on Saturday, the Augies scored a touchdown to get within one with 31 seconds left. Augsburg did what I'm sure every fan wanted to see, lining up to go for two and play their way into the MIAC title game, but Williams struck the big blow for Royals fans as he picked off Cage Sheehan's pass and returned it all the way the other direction for a defensive two-point conversion. Insurmountable swing with 31 seconds left, and Bethel holds on to win 30-27. For that, Williams gets my game ball. Here's what it sounded like.
2: Dom Smith alone to the right. Snap goes to Sheehan. Looking that way, gonna throw it to Smith. It's intercepted. And racing back the other way, trying to get two points for the Royals is Devin Williams. And he is gonna do just that. So 30 to 27. Devin Smith with the two-point conversion interception, and it's a three-point lead for Bethel with 31 seconds to go. Craig,
1: I'm wondering with the overtime rules changing this year, are coaches going to be more likely to go for these two-point conversions in the closing seconds of a game and avoid overtime altogether? I think that with the the penalty kicks phase basically of college football overtime, starting in overtime number three at this point, I feel like OT is more of a crap shoot than it even used to be before. It is. And I mean, how many,
0: how many really good two point tries do you have? I mean, maybe if you've got one good one, you go for it right there. Augsburg, that's a game at home, a little bit of an underdog. They had the momentum there. I think that's the time that you, that you pull the trigger on, on a two point conversion and try to win. I think we're going to have a little bit more, from bethel augsburg a little bit later in the rundown a tremendous game though really that augsburg fought incredibly well and dang near upset what we've been assuming to be the mayak title game uh, all season long dubuque won the key city clash on saturday defeating loris 27 to 20 in overtime pat the spartans were no doubt dancing in the sheets this weekend wade sheets that is Dubuque wide receiver Wade Sheets caught 13 passes for 186 yards and three touchdowns in this win. One touchdown tied the game in the fourth quarter. His third touchdown of the day would be the game winner in overtime, and for his superlative performance in this rivalry game, Wade Sheets gets my game ball. Also game ball to anybody who gets my shallow weapons. Not my also, not gonna be my stat. Not my stat. That may be the most incredible stat.
1: My stat of the week comes from the Centennial Conference. Top four teams in this conference have finished their games against each other and have kind of stratified out with Susquehanna in first, unbeaten in conference overall as well. Johns Hopkins in second, having only lost to Susquehanna. Ursinus third, having only lost to Susquehanna and Johns Hopkins. And then Muhlenberg fourth losing to the three I I've previously mentioned. This little round robin accounts for six games all told. Well, those six games were decided by a total of 32 points, and that includes Susquehanna's two-point win against Hopkins last week and the four-point win against Muhlenberg on Saturday. Those teams quite close all season, and it shows up in my stat of the week. Monmouth defeated rippon thirty nine
0: to thirty one, and in doing so, the Scots cracked a Red Hawk defense that had not given up more than twenty one points in a game this season, but that is not my stat. Carter Boyer threw for four touchdowns and ran for one more for the Scots, and that is also not my stat. Pat, my stat is twenty eight, as in Monmouth has led at the end of twenty eight quarters of football in the Midwest Conference this season lake forest has also led for 28 quarters in midwest conference play ripon has led for just 24 quarters in conference play which essentially eliminates the red hawks from the mwc automatic bid the only way that ripon can earn the midwest conference bid is if knox wins the bronze turkey from monmouth next week so the quarters led watch is on in the midwest conference lake forest is at chicago and with monmouth being heavy favorites The Foresters likely need to not only beat Chicago, but lead at the end of each quarter to make a return trip to the postseason. I've got a follow up to this, and we'll have to maybe ask Coach Catanzaro sometime about this. Like, how early in the season do you think about that? Like, do you call a timeout in a game in October at the end of the first quarter so that you can kick a field goal and get a lead? I don't know how much that tiebreak comes into how you manage a game early in the season.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I would have to think that if you're thinking about this also, then you every time you win the coin toss, you want to take the ball. I mean, you got to get down and score every time, right? Every time in the first quarter. And these two teams that uh, we just talked about it, basically have done that all season. Rippon is the one that has not been able to do so. It's time we go region by region, from region one to region six. And we're starting with what's fun in the one fun in the one. I was pretty happy with where I was on Saturday up at Keystone College up in La Plume, Pennsylvania. I stumbled on the first senior day in Keystone College football history because I was not expecting it. Keystone's only played varsity games for two seasons, but you got two seasons of varsity games. You've got a COVID year and you've got a developmental season where they played like JV games and, and club teams and that sort of thing back in 2019. And now all of a sudden you have guys who have been in that program for four years, 19 of them listed as seniors on the roster. 12 of them walked in senior day festivities on Saturday in the game against SUNY Maritime. This is also a game that featured two teams in their last season in the ECFC, SUNY Maritime is going to the Mac next season. Keystone is joining the Landmark as an affiliate member. And there will be six full members of Landmark Hood in, uh, in that conference as well. Keystone's not a particularly large school. This is one of those schools that adds football specifically to boost their enrollment in general. But pretty good game day atmosphere. Also didn't hurt that while the Midwest was getting rained on, in some cases, torrentially, Bloomington, Illinois, Menominee, Wisconsin, that sort of thing. It was dry. It was 70-some degrees. Lots of hype there for senior day. Food trucks? Food trucks, what a great idea. The heck with concession stands. I had the, the best lunch, basically, that I've ever had at a regular season Division Three football game. I was really happy about that. And then got to see a game in which the host team scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to rally from an 11 point deficit and win by the score of 21 to 20. Just a lot of fun. And I talked with coach Justin Higgins about it after the game, my apologies on this clip, really windy up on the hill at Keystone, but I'm including it because uh, hopefully you'll get an idea of what this means to the program to have its first home win in program history. We have more fun at the end, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we focus a lot on just the process part, you know, and everything we do. And I think that's why in games like this, you're, you're never out of it because it's they're not worried about getting
0: all the points back. It's how do I make that next play to put us in position. And that's how we got back into
1: this game. We talked before the game about this being your guys' first senior day. Yeah. And this is your first home win. How does it feel to have all that together? Uh, it's good. It's uh, I, I think it's fitting. I think there's a lot of, you uh, of effort that was put in by that group, you know, uh, not just the guys that, won, that, guys that won, everyone. but for senior
0: day to get first W, I think that's going to be something we all remember for a while. Really exciting times for Keystone. Plymouth State won in the one, but I don't know how much fun they had. The Panthers won 21 to 7 at Massachusetts Maritime in a game that saw Plymouth State limited to just 13 first downs and 215 yards of offense. The win keeps Plymouth State undefeated in Mass. MASCAC play, but they'll need a lot more offense in Week 11 against Mass Dartmouth. The Corsairs, they've been lighting up the scoreboard all season long and were idle this week, so they've had a chance to rest up for their championship game next week.
1: Greg, who's feeling blue in the two?
0: Case Western Reserve is feeling blue in the two. The Spartans limited Westminster to just 121 yards of offense and just four first downs, but Westminster managed a 14-13 win despite the Spartan defense's best efforts. Westminster's first touchdown came after a 10-yard punt set the Titans' offense up at the Case Western 20-yard line. On the ensuing possession, Spartan QB Drew Saxton was intercepted by Corte Williams, Williams returned the interception 33 yards for a touchdown. And that was all of the points Westminster would need a case. Western reserve win would have set up next week's academic bowl as a pack automatic bid deciding game, but with the loss, the exciting pack race is over. That's when I
1: felt
0: and Carnegie Mellon clinches a bid to the tournament without having played this
1: weekend. I'm sure the tartans are just fine with this as payback for 2017, 2017, You may remember this is when Case blocked a Carnegie Mellon punt in the closing seconds of regulation, ended up winning in overtime. Lots of craziness when uh, you think about Case Western Reserve and Carnegie Mellon. In this case, they didn't even play each other this week. Blue in the two for me is Christopher Newport. Not blue as in feeling down, but the royal blue and the silver are the captains. They're seven and two and five and zero in the end. Jack in their first season under head coach Paul Crowley, and they will go to Salisbury with the conference title and the automatic bid on the line next Saturday. Been kind of a strange year for CNU. They lost at home to Averett. That's one of Averett's just two wins on the season, and they lost to Apprentice School. I can never really tell anything about Apprentice School because it's a three-year uh, school. For apprentice shipbuilders, they play everyone from club teams to D2 schools. Uh, Regardless, if CNU were to win on Saturday and make the playoffs, it would be the first time since 2014 for this program that was the literal poster child for how to be successful starting a D3 program from scratch. That's something the captains did in 2001. And I say literal poster child. I will put the link in the show notes of the story that I did back in 2005, 2006, something like that talking about why schools add Division three football and yeah CNU was the uh, cover photo that day.
0: And there you go one more head-to-head matchup for a ticket to the playoffs in week 11. Pat who is running free in the three
2: it door
1: door. running free in the three you have to start with Birmingham Southern running back John Lewis. this guy ripped off 341 yards and four touchdowns on Saturday and he did it in just 13 carries averaging 26.2 yards a carry in a 41 to 21 victory against center. I'd say John Lewis was running free quite a bit. His touchdowns were of 36, 76, 14 and 90 yards.
0: Very efficient day. We like to see that Randolph Macon is running free in the three as well, as we just missed another opportunity for a marquee rivalry game to settle a conference. In the ODAK, Hampton Sydney needed to beat Shenandoah on the road to set up a winner-take-all game in the game next week, but Shenandoah wasn't willing to oblige. The Hornets knocked off Hampton Sydney 23-7, and in doing so, clinched the ODAC for Randolph
1: Macon. That's what the four-by-fours for, son. That's what the four-by-fours for. All right, Greg. Who's looking for more in the four?
0: Baldwin Wallace is looking for more in the four after the Yellow Jackets rallied with 13 fourth quarter points to force overtime at Heidelberg and then walked off with a two point conversion pass from Joey Marusek to Elijah Arnett to beat the student princes 21 to 20 Yellow Jacket kicker Dean Saris made field goals of 37 and 35 yards in blustery conditions to help get the game to overtime. Alden Wallace, who has been off the radar since a one and two start that included a 13 to 12 win over Wilmington, hosts Mount Union in week 11 with a chance, actually, surprisingly, maybe incredibly to share the OAC championship.
1: If they were to win that game then and John Carroll were to win on Saturday, you'd have a three way tie. I really enjoyed the Logan Hansen guess the three-way tiebreaker game on Twitter this week. The OACs is a really incredible one. Uh, one instituted, I think, about eight years ago when the conference surprisingly thought maybe it would need a three-way tiebreaker for the first time. And what happens in this case is the other seven coaches, the ones not involved in the tie, will file a confidential ballot with the conference office. And the winner of that balloting will be who gets the automatic bid from the OAC. What I loved is that up until that point, there hadn't been a three-way tiebreaker because the conference office just assumed that the NSA selection committee would choose that team for them. And I'm pretty sure that that conference office had been on that selection committee. For me, who's looking for more in the four? I'm looking at Muskingum. Muskingum is a, has had back-to-back five-win seasons for the first time since 1995 and 96, And the Muskies defeated Wilmington on Saturday by the score of 27-13 to clinch that fifth win going into a home game against Marietta coming up in Week 11. Six wins for Marietta would be the most since that 1995 season when they went 6-3-1. Eric Yeiter became the head coach going into the 2019 season, and this team has steadily gotten better. How you continue to move up, obviously, the ladder in a very difficult OAC remains to be seen. But a really good season for Muskingum with a chance to finish not just 500, but perchance with a winning record.
0: Yeah, really good. Uh, Muskingum had a really strong game against Mount Union in that spring 2020 schedule. And, you know, what? Do say what you will about the spring 2020 schedule. A game like that for a program like Muskingum is a good springboard, and they're continuing that momentum climbing up the OAC standings. Pat, who is going into overdrive in the five? five.
1: Going into overdrive in the five. How about the uh, American rivers conference tiebreaker team? There's a chance of a three-way tie in this conference as well. Reached out to the conference office uh, on Saturday, just to clarify exactly how this works. So if Kobe beats Warburg on Saturday and Dubuque beats Central, that's a three-way tie at the top of the league. And so one thing we haven't talked about very much in this whole three-way tiebreaker thing over the course of the past couple weeks is the Rose Bowl rule. Everybody remember the Rose Bowl rule? So the Rose Bowl rule is when you have a three-way unbreakable tie you know all three teams have beaten one of the other teams lost to one of the other teams not lost any other games that's the unbreakable tie then the rose bowl rule as well they would take the team that has not been in the rose bowl the longest and give that team the rose bowl win well the arc uses the reverse rose bowl which i kind of like and what happens is reverse rose bowl is you take out the team That has been to the playoffs the most recently out of the three and then use the head-to-head tiebreaker between the other two teams to determine that result. So in this case, if I read it correctly, Wartburg would be the team that would be the odd team out in this instance. They've been to the playoffs more recently than Coe or Dubuque. Then you revert to the Coe-Dubuque head-to-head matchup and that would send Dubuque to the playoffs.
0: Interesting. A lot of stakes there for that final game at Wartburg. They've been excellent all season long. The punt block team at Concordia Chicago went into overdrive on Saturday. The Cougars had two punt blocks returned for touchdowns in their 34-26 upset win over Benedictine. Martin Egbo and Brandon Baugh each picked up blocked kicks for scores. The win was Concordia's first over Benedictine since Concordia's undefeated 2012 season.
1: And we also, while we're talking about Region 5, just want to send out our condolences to the Grinnell College football program, the Grinnell College community, there in mourning this week after freshman linebacker Davis Cooper was struck and killed on foot on Interstate 80 back at the beginning of this week. A very tragic story there, and our hearts go out to the Cooper family and the Pioneer football family and the Grinnell College community. All right, Greg, we're trying this one on for size. Who's got a new bag of tricks in the six? Six feet, six,
2: six feet, six feet, six, six feet. The
0: Sixth Street Rivalry is going to have a new bag of tricks this weekend. Claremont Mudscripts dispatched Redlands 42-0 and Pomona Pitzer handled Whittier. This means that somebody is going to make history on Saturday afternoon. A CMS win would secure the Stags' first ever unbeaten, untied skyak season in their history, while a Pomona-Pitzer win would be the first Skyak football championship in Sagehen's history.
1: A lot of fun. That's another rivalry with a conference championship on the line. The rivalry where five schools share the same campus. I love it. Looking to see what the new bag of tricks for Bethel looks like on Saturday. So Jaron Rosty got hurt. I know you've heard this from us before. It seems like we spent the first half of the season talking about this. He's the quarterback at Bethel. He left in the first half of that game against Augsburg, the one we talked about before in which Bethel survived 30-27. to 27. Bethel had three drives with Rusty under center. They scored twice. George Bolt is the backup. You know, He obviously got a, a significant amount of playing time while Rusty was out. He moved the team pretty well on offense as well led them on two touchdown drives despite throwing just three passes. Problem was just as much that Bethel's defense couldn't get off the field because Augsburg's three second-half drives went for 15, 9, and 11 plays apiece. But if we're talking about a Jaron Ross less offense against a stronger St. John's defense and then the stronger St. John's offense going up against a Bethel defense that may not have the offense keeping it off the field nearly so much. Be interesting to see what Steve Johnson and his crew come up with for the MIC title game up in Collegeville. Craig, it was another newsy week in Division Three as well. I mean, obviously we had the unranked regional rankings to talk about this week. But then also, on two separate days, the Southern Collegiate Athletic Conference making news. The first time around, when McMurray, that's the one in Abilene, Texas, it's the only McMurray left in Division Three at this point, but I still feel like I have to say that. They announced that starting in the fall of 2024, they were going to move from the American Southwest Conference to the SCAC, moving all their sports, begging the question, well, the SCAC hasn't said that they're sponsoring football in the fall of 2024, but you count up numbers at that point, it seemed pretty obvious they were going to. And then kind of more bombshell after bombshell after that, it's like, yeah, not only that, Shriner is going to add football, and you're going to end up with eight conference teams playing football in the SCAC once it's once it's all said and done. Because they added Lion College out of Arkansas. Lion announced back in February that they were joining Division three. They hadn't had a football home yet, and they found it in the SCAC. All of a sudden, SCAC goes from non-existent to AQ sometime in like 2025 or 2026. Really big news is going to shake
0: up uh, some things in that particular region, not just region three, but that particular uh, geographic region. I'm talking about Texas. SCAC goes from having just a couple of football playing schools to within this week, just throwing news bombs everywhere. They're going to wind up having, like you said, eight centenary is coming on board for the SCAC. Shriner now adding football. And then for me, the really big news there, aside from the formation or the reformation of a football playing conference, the addition of Lion as an affiliate member, that's important because Lion kind of a free agent, like you were saying, looking for a a home for their football program with these moves, the ASC is going to drop down to just five football playing institutions. Lion could have been a 6 team that would have kept them above that or at that 6 team threshold that you need to qualify for in AQ. And so now you've got the ASC in a span of 48 hours worth of news releases. The ASC, by the time we get to, I think, 2026, are going to lose their pool A access unless they're able to find somebody to join their conference. And they've got ASC has some non football playing schools. Maybe there's something internal program could boot up there. But I don't know where else they would go to find somebody to join and keep their conference at the 16 minimum. Your categories have become tiresome.
2: You've got mail.
1: Tiresome. It's a time we dip into the mailbag. We put out the call there on Twitter on Sunday when we're headed into Podcastville, and you guys respond. And this is from the referee, formerly known as Coach G, or at R-G-Y-F-O, asking, what's the history on seeding for Pool C? Thinking a team like UW Lacrosse actually ranked higher than the AQ from its own conference. Great question. I will tackle that part of the question coming up in a little bit. But I felt like it might be useful to use this as an opportunity to remind people that In most cases, the at-large teams, the five at-large teams that get into this tournament are going to be not only vastly better than the majority of the automatic bids, they're also going to be seated higher. So I hear so many people talk about why is this team hosting? They're an at-large team. This team is a conference champion. Not all conference champions are created equal. And that's the obvious one, right? It is. If you want to
0: get a read on who might be hosting games or who might be seated higher than who else look at the regional rankings. And I'm glad that we talked about Wisconsin lacrosse in this question. Wisconsin lacrosse last year, they were a team that did go on the road, maybe not in a way that we agreed with, but Wisconsin lacrosse was ranked lower in region six, they went and played Albion on the road, who was ranked higher in region four. And maybe that isn't not the best way to use those rankings, but that's how they were used last
1: year is how they were used last year. Not well,
0: but within the same region, certainly you can use your regional rankings to figure out who might host a game and who is likely to be on the road. And it does not have anything to do with the way you qualified pool A or pool C.
1: It'd be interesting to talk about UW lacrosse versus UW whitewater, right? Yeah. Uh, lacrosse has a better record, a better division three record. Whitewater beat them head to head and beat them at UW lacrosse. I think that all things considered whitewater is still going to be ahead of lacrosse in this week's regional rankings. And I think if you see it in this week's regional rankings, then you'll also see it in the quote unquote seedings on selection Sunday. Thanks for the question. Referee formerly known as Coach G, when you see the call on Twitter, send us that tweet. You may get answered on the mailbag. We're up to games to watch, and uh, no surprise, my game to watch in Week 11 is the one we've been talking about all season. That is the 63rd battle for the Cortica Jug between arch-rivals Cortland and Ithaca, which will be played in Yankee Stadium on Saturday. Yeah. We ended up getting that unbeaten battle on the big stage in front of a reportedly sold out crowd on the yes network. And in addition to the jug, the winner of this game gets to go into the playoffs with a spot in our top 10. I mean, they have to have to be in our top 10 at that point, people plus perhaps a chance at a top seed in the playoffs. If not, at least the winner should be in position to host up to three playoff games, assuming they advance through the bracket. No pressure, Red Dragons and Bombers, but I am expecting this game to live up to all the amazing Division Three football we've had so far this season. Best of luck living up to my expectations. Go, Cortica Jug. Yankee Stadium, really? I don't know if you've heard in the Bronx, New York. Breaking news. <laughs>
0: Pat, this might come as a surprise, but my game to watch this week is going to be the 128th Monon Bell Classic where Wabash will travel to DePauw, and the winner of that game will not only earn the right to possess the Monon Bell for the next year, but they will also win the NCAC Championship and a spot in the playoffs. This should be a strength-on-strength game. Wabash has one of the nation's best offenses, led by the leader in total offense in the nation, Liam Thompson. DePauw, they are excellent on the defensive side of the ball with four shutouts this season. Anything can happen in this rivalry. The extra stakes this year are going to make the 128th edition of this game just that much better.
1: You know, uh, I think you're fine to pick a rivalry game with an automatic bid on the line, whether whether it's your alma mater or not. I think you're good. Otherwise, this weekend, keep an eye on Mountain Union at Baldwin-Wallace, Bethel at St. John's, Platteville at La Crosse, Warpergood Co. We've talked about a lot of these games already. Randolph Macon at Hampton, Sydney. Carnegie Mellon at Case Western Reserve. Albion at Alma. Amherst at Williams. Springfield at Catholic. That's for the new Mac title. We mentioned that last week. We're talking about it again. Union at RPI for the shoes. CNU at Salisbury. Rose Holman at Mount St. Joe. That's head to head for the HCAC. Hanover at Franklin. That's for the Victory Bell. CUW at Aurora. That is for the automatic bid in the NAC. And then, of course, Claremont Mudscripts at Pomona Pitzer. Pat, I'm going on the
0: spot this week. I'm putting you on the spot with three over-unders that I've chosen for this week. All right. Here we go. We're going to go over-under
1: points in the Monon Bell Classic, 65.5 total points. I'm going to go under 65.5 is a lot. 33-32 sounds like a pretty fun game.
0: One for who? I don't know. Here we go. Over-under number two, Pat. Total offense for Bethel,
1: 380.5 yards. Under, 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 under. Under, 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 under. And I say that not even necessarily too concerned about whether Jaron Rusty plays or not. I think that's high. I don't know what the weather's going to be up here next week, but that's a factor, too, that could suppress some offense.
0: Bethel over 500 yards in their first meeting with St. John's this season. Pat going 120 yards under where they were in their first meeting. Interesting. I was only at that game. I'm not sure that I got a box score. And then my final over under Pat attendance at the Cortica jug game over under 45,161 just plucked out of the air.
1: Just a random number. Right. I asked a couple times and I was never quite able to get an answer as to how many seats in Yankee stadium were to be sold for football. I'm going to go over. 45161. That is the goal. The goal is to break that record.
0: That is the record set at Cortica two years ago at
1: MetLife Stadium. As I've said multiple times in the past, I'm looking forward to people actually coming into the stadium to watch this game and living up to that attendance mark. All right. My on the spot for you is not something that has yet to happen. It's about something that has already happened. So this past weekend. I drove from Annapolis, Maryland, to La Plume, Pennsylvania, and I'll tell ya, I went around the west side of Baltimore on 695, I went up 83, crossed over to 81, and then got off of 81, and drove the rest of the way to Keystone. Greg, how many Division III schools with football did I pass within 10 miles of, give or take, on this trip?
0: wow um let's see i re- i went to reach for a phone but i feel like that would be cheating to get a map i'm gonna say uh you were in the neighborhood of johns hopkins stevenson keystone obviously and then as you're driving up that way i believe you would have had to have passed widener <laughs>
1: Oh no! But I'm not no. asking. I'm just asking for a number. But uh, Widener's over in the Philly area. We're going up. Uh, we're going up mountainside here. Oh, all right, all right. Uh, let's see. There is a route that I could have gone past Philadelphia and then also gone past Muhlenberg and Moravian, but uh, I went the western side. I see. I'm going to say, Pat, that you were
0: within ten miles of eight. Three football playing schools.
1: Pretty good. Uh, By my count, it is nine. You Ah. mentioned uh, Johns Hopkins and Stevenson. And then in roughly geographical order, Dickinson, Lebanon Valley, Kings, Wilkes, and Misericordia, all in the Wilkes-Barre area and Scranton area. Franklin and Marshall in Lancaster is on the way there. And, uh, of course, Keystone at the end when it's all said and done. If we'd gone with non-football schools, there would have been so many more uh goucher would have weighed in there york college of pennsylvania drove past i was surprised i would have thought it was more but when i went back and looked at the map it's like not nearly as many as some other road trips i've been on and i suppose that's because it was only 250 miles each way very well the immediate spot check on that one that's right
0: what are we going to do next week next week we'll be too busy to spot check Hopefully, we'll have something else to fill the uh, spot check segment next next week. We'll see. Last week, Pat, I asked you to pick, going from the bottom of the Others Receiving Votes category, up the list of teams that we were getting votes in the Top 25 poll to find the first team that would not score the number of points that it's getting in the poll. You guessed Rippon, and that was incorrect. Rippon did score over 20 points. They received 20 points in last week's poll. They did score over 20. The correct answer here actually would have been a little bit lower in the others receiving votes pile. UW Stout scored just Uh. seven points against Whitewater, six shy of the 13 poll points they received.
1: I did not account for torrential rain. That's my bad. I should have looked at the weather report.
0: Torrential rain and stifling Warhawk defense. Going the other way, I asked you to start at the top of the poll and go down until you found a team that gave up more points than they received. You picked Birmingham Southern, giving up more than 18, and Birmingham Southern did give up more than 18, but they were not the highest team to give up more points than they received. That was Washington University. They gave up 42 points to Wheaton, which is more than the 26 points that they received last week.
1: Last week, Greg, I asked you in honor of Martin Luther and his 95 theses to pick a winner in each of the games involving a school with either Luther or Lutheran in its name, and that uh, was six games, and you correctly picked five of them. You picked Martin Luther over Westminster Moe, Texas Lutheran over Southwestern, Central over Luther, Pacific Lutheran over Puget Sound and Chapman over Cal Lutheran, but... You also picked Wisconsin Lutheran over Concordia, Wisconsin, and it was the Falcons of C.U.W. that came out on top on that. And then I did. Did you? I feel like
0: I would not have picked Concordia, Wisconsin to lose to Wisconsin Lutheran. But hey, it's on the tape. Well, I don't
1: know if it's on the tape. This is just what I bolded in the rundown last week. So we may have to go back to the audio tape and uh, that will be our spot check spot check in next week's I'm throwing the challenge
0: flag, Pat. (laughs) All
1: right, throw the challenge flag. And then, of course, Greg anticipated the bonus question I was going to ask him about Ohio Wesleyan and Wittenberg. He picked Ohio Wesleyan over Wittenberg. He was correct. 14-7 Ohio Wesleyan over Wittenberg. And so he got seven out of seven correct. Checking back on how we did in quick hits last week. That is our Friday predictions. You can find them on the D3Football.com website. In terms of upset picks, the only right answer was no upset picks. And Ryan Tips picked the right week to deal the nun card. As he said, he never does this, but he was correct this time. Susquehanna and Ithaca, they were pressed, but they did win their games. I thought uh, UW-Whitewater was pressed a little bit as well. That was my pick, but uh, they of course did win at UW-Stout. We'll have to wait and see until next week for our picks for teams that made a one-week cameo in the regional rankings, although Logan picked Trine, who lost to Hope, and certainly will fall out of the rankings in Region 4. Tips picked Wash U, and while Wash U lost, they might hang on in the regional rankings. We'll see. And then Monmouth's win over Ripon makes things a really interesting course at the bottom of Region 5, as we've talked about.
0: We asked our panel of experts to pick among Ithaca, Susquehanna, and Ripon the number of those teams that would qualify for the playoffs in Week 10, Pat and Logan were correct in picking Susquehanna and Ithaca to clinch their playoff bids. Greg, Ryan, and Riley included Rippon. We went with all three, and that was incorrect. And Frank only picked Susquehanna. He missed on Ithaca. And finally, we all correctly identified teams that lost in the week before their big Week 11 rivalry game. Hanover, Franklin, Wilkes. Williams Union and Hampton Sydney all got caught looking ahead or maybe they just played a better team this week
1: and this was around the nation podcast number 318 released on November 7th 2022 thanks for listening especially thanks for listening to my voice pretty rough this week I appreciate it you can also keep an eye out for our continuing coverage this week this week next week the following week so much content so much content we got to get working on those team capsules for example you can support production of this podcast and the d3sports.com family of websites by visiting patreon.com d3 sports but even if you can't afford to support us financially you can help us out by telling a friend classmate fellow alumnus someone at the tailgate about the show and you can rate and review us at the various places that people rate and review podcasts you can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The
0: executive producer of Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is powered too by DJ Mentos. We use much more of his tracks as well as you can find them at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Special thanks to Greg Thomas, the co-host, and thanks to podcast co-founder
1: Keith McMillan. I should have had you read all of my stuff this week. That's so much better. Hey, that's teamwork. You, gotta, you know, it's the end of the
0: season. Everybody's playing a little, a little rough, you know? Look, you've got five weeks Five weeks to rest up, heal that heal that voice box a little bit before you go uh, three hours of play-by-play at Stag Bowl 49.
1: I'm really excited about where that uh, pregame show is going to be set up. You guys have a nice little perch that overlooks a corner of the field. Not overlooks by too high. I think you're only maybe about 10 feet off the playing surface. I think that's going to look pretty awesome. I'm excited about that.
0: Should look good. Hoping that uh, we can set up one of these on-field uh, Pre games without 20 mile an hour winds. It never happens. It's gonna be windy. You know what it is.
2: By the time you get to this, maybe you should just take this out.